Don't you all appreciate how the worship team leads us week in and week out? Thank you, guys. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm a pastor here. Uh, We are we have a really light setup today. So for the verses, you'll just have to either read along on your phone. If you are one of the rare breed that bought a physical Bible with you, then start opening to James now. Uh, It may take you a couple moments to get there. Uh, But we have been in a series called Friend. We're really exploring uh, the book of James. And the crux of James is him trying to see, he's speaking to the church. He's saying, are you, even though you confess Jesus, even though you believe in Jesus, even though you're part of the church, are you still a friend of the world or are you a friend of God? And so today we're in James chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. And we're going to, the title of today's message is the royal law. Now for the entire chapter of chapter 2, James is continuing his thought, this thought of acts of faith that he started with in the end of chapter 1. We continued last week in the beginning of chapter 2. And last week he began to flesh out this topic, favoritism, in the church when it comes to judgment, when it comes to settling disputes among people in the church. And how the church had begun this horrible practice of picking favorites during these times of Judgment. And so he picks up, we pick, we're picking up where he left off last week, and James this week is trying to help the church understand why this is so bad. And so we're going to be reading James uh, chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. We'll read the entire passage first, and then we will begin. Starting in verse 8, James says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. So I am going to just warn you today before we get started, it is going to be a heavy one for us today. You know, if you read those pageants think, oh man, this is fun. Yes, this is going to be a fun topic for us today. Um, And uh, that's why I'm just so thrilled that all of you came for Marathon Sunday. It's just like you came to hear a really heavy uh, sermon at church today. But honestly, all of James is heavy. That's what I love about it. Like you cannot escape uh, the thought that James has because and I think why James always hits so home is because he is specifically speaking to the church. You know, this is James has had enough with the church's hypocrisy And so he begins to speak to the church and say, "Okay, enough is enough. We got to get this straight. And so James starts off today and he says, if you are really fulfilling the royal law, you're doing a great job. You know, so, you know, if this is not you, don't worry about it. If you're doing everything that we're talking about, don't worry about it. But, 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 you know, got to love that. 
But if you're wondering, first of all, what is the royal law before we get into everything else? Because James knows they're not fulfilling the royal law. I mean, that's why he wrote this letter to them, because they're, they're specifically not doing this. So he says, if you, if you are doing this, you're fulfilling the royal law, you're, you're doing great. Don't worry about anything. And what the royal law is, is what we introduced last week, what we were talking about, Leviticus 19. Where in the beginning of Leviticus 19, it says, you shall be holy like the Lord is holy, like your God is holy. And then right after that, it goes into the law of how we should treat our neighbor. And so this is the royal law. When, when Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said, you shall love God with all your heart, mind and soul. And what? You shall love your neighbor. Right? He said, you shall do unto others what you want other people to do unto you. This was the crux of the law. If you listened to this, you understood the character of God. You understood the whole point of the law. You understood every single minutia, detail of the law that he was trying to get across. Was this understanding of love and grace and mercy towards one another. And when he explains what it means to love your neighbor and to be holy as God is holy... In Leviticus 19, it says things like this. You, you don't steal, right? If you steal from people, you don't love them. He says, don't oppress your neighbor. If you have the ability to oppress somebody, then you don't. That is loving your neighbor. He says, Doing, do not do injustice in court. So if you have a just system among your community, if you have a just system in Israel, at that point, they were a nation that was part of loving their neighbor, not hating your brother or sister, not holding a grudge, not lying. It's a big list that generally you would say, if you care about somebody, you don't have an issue with any of these things. And so when James is saying, saying, if you are completing this, if you are completing the royal law, then don't worry, you are good. Because what happens is when you begin to follow Christ, the character of Christ gets formed in your heart. And so the character of God that is revealed to us through the law begins to get formed in our heart. This is things that are important, things that we should understand today. And so lying to somebody, not oppressing somebody, not hating somebody, these are things that begin to change in our life. And so James is saying, if you follow Jesus, you are the church. This is what you should be doing. This is good. Now, if you are here today and you are not a believer and you say, I don't follow Jesus, then what you can understand from this is you can understand what does it mean for the church to actually be the church that Jesus wanted it to be? What does that look like? Because there's a lot of people out there that claim to be the church, right? They're in the media all the time with signs of hate. They write news articles. They're constantly hearing, whether through friends or secondhand, about this people group called the church. And it's very hypocritical what we hear, what we see in the news, what we experience from other people. And that's why a lot of people stay away from the church. And James is in agreement with you. The church that he is writing to is acting hypocritically and he is tired of it. He says, this is what it really means to be the church. So follow the royal law. If you are doing this already, great job. You are on the right path. Continue doing that. But, says, if you show partiality or favoritism, then you are committing sin 
and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Now James elaborates on what he means, starting in verse 10. He says this, For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he said, Do not commit, for he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. In essence, this is what James is saying. He's saying this, You cannot say that you keep the Ten Commandments because you have not murdered somebody. But on the other hand, you're committing adultery. Right. That that doesn't make sense. If if you say, man, I'm good. I, I keep the Ten Commandments because you haven't murdered somebody. But on the other hand, you are steeped in lust against your neighbor, which Jesus says is the same thing as committing adultery. Then how can you say that you are keeping the law? You can't. On one hand, be sinning, and on the other hand, be keeping the law. Just, that does not make sense. So he says, if, if you are doing that, then what is happening? You are a lawbreaker. See, what happens in the church, and what we develop after a period of time, is this. We, in, we develop an internal list of sins. Sins that are bad, and sins that are okay. And if you've been... You know, following Christ for more than a week, you've already begun to develop this list of sins that um, these things, if I commit, this is this is okay, And if these things, if I commit these sins, these are not okay. What's really funny about Christians is our lists are all different. Our preferences are all different. Why? Because we have a lot more grace for ourselves than we do for other people. And it's, it's okay if I'm struggling with this well because you know what? Like, you just don't know my battle. You don't know where I've come from. So you don't understand, you know, and this is okay. But if you do that, oh, man, what kind of, what kind of human being are you? Like, how, how awful do you have to be to stoop to that level, right? This, this kind of, this, this ungraceful judgment that Christians are known for, this is how this happens because... We have our internal lists of what is good and what is bad. You know, these are the, the okay sins. You know, this is what I'm fine with committing. And these are the really bad ones. And James has a newsflash for everybody. If you commit a sin, you're sinning. There are no okay sins and bad sins. They're all sins. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. <laughs> As James said before in chapter one, he says what? Our evil desires conceive sin. What it means by conceived is that means it literally gives birth to sin in our life. And when sin is fully formed, what happens? Death comes to us, which is separation from God. We cannot in good conscience keep a running list of sins that are okay and ones that are not okay. See, something that I've come to realize as a sign of immaturity in a Christian is this, is when they think they're a better sinner than somebody else. Right? That that seems like an oxymoron, but honestly, guys, I'm a pastor. Right? If you haven't figured that out by now, some of you are still wondering if that's the case, but yes, I am. I've been around Christians my entire life. I'm a pastor's kid. I've, I've, I've lived with Christians, hung out with Christians. I've been to churches all over the place, all over the world, and... You know, there's just some things about Christians that don't change no matter where you are. And James is hitting on this topic because this was something that Christians were dealing with just like they were dealing with back then. And immature Christians are 
Christians that think I am a better sinner than you. Instead of coming to the realization that Paul the Apostle had, which is what? I am the worst of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. No one is better than me. Right, an immature Christian will look at somebody else and say, wow. Like, man, how do you, how do you still struggle with that? Are you serious? Good. You... Like, that's disgusting. But, you know, at 12 o'clock at night when nobody is looking, alone in their house, they're doing things. And maybe somebody else would look at that and say, wow, really? After everything that you have said, you're doing that? Huh. Okay. So let's start, let's start competing now. Which one of us is worse now? And, you know, we'll start getting out the scales. If you are steeped in habitual, unrepentant sin, stop comparing yourself to other people. End of story. Your punishment is going to be the same. Right? There is no reason for you to compare yourself to somebody else if... What's happening if there is unrepentant, habitual sin in your life and then you're looking at other people and thinking, oh, maybe they're worse. You know, if if this person is doing this, maybe I can get away with this. Stop the comparison because guess what? The punishment is going to be the same at the end of the day. You know, I used to, uh, in my own life, I used to wear that I had never done drugs and never gotten drunk as a badge of honor. You know, I, I was, you know, like, that was my holier-than-thou stuff. Like, man, you know, you, you deal with that, it sucks for you. I don't know. I don't know how you could do that, you know, like, that, that's really wrong. Or, you know, I look at my, my friends, you know, and they, they were going out and getting plastered, and I'd just be like, man, what's wrong with that person? Like, how do they do that? But at the end of the day... Is I was wearing like, hey, where's my medal for my, my non-drug habit? Where's my medal for my non-alcoholic? But here I am, a porn addict. And, and, and this is the mentality, but you know what? Like, that's okay. Like, I, yeah, God understands. God knows what I'm going through, you know. And you make up crazy stuff. Oh, this is private. You know, that, that's more public. So it, it, affects, it affects other people. You know, you, and you just start saying these things to yourself. And it's, and it's what we do. It's human rationalization. Now, a lot of times we just, we need to superficially feel better about ourselves. And so what do humans do when we want to feel better about ourselves? We start putting other people down. What is what is James said that the Christians were doing to the poor person, putting them underneath their feet? Why? Because this is what we do when we want to feel better about ourselves. We we say, man, I may be committing this, but I'm not committing this. So I'm better than you because you're committing that. And I'm just going to stay in secret about what I'm committing over here. What the church was doing was they were saying, yes, we love our neighbor. Right? They, they were saying these words, we love our neighbor, but we are treating the poor unjustly. 
Right? And James is saying, how can you love your neighbor? How can you fulfill the royal law? How can you say this, yet still treat the poor in the way that you are treating them? James says, no, 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 no. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. You cannot say, well, I'm not a liar, so I'm... I'm I, I, I'm doing well here. I don't lie to other people, but I mistreat the poor, but I still I know how to love my neighbor because I know how not to lie to them. On the flip side, if you are very loving to the poor, yet all you do is hold grudges towards other people and have hatred in your heart towards maybe family members or co-workers, then you are still doing the same thing. Right? Sometimes... We have our justice warriors today that wear their social justice on their sleeve and they think, man, I am doing the work of the Lord. I am out here and I am standing up for injustice against injustice. I'm standing up for the poor. Yet every single day on Facebook, they're cursing out every single person that doesn't agree with them. Man, how can you say that you love your neighbor and you're fulfilling the royal law of Christ when you are holding hatred towards your neighbor just because you're standing up for the poor? Right, this, is, this is what being a friend of the world does. It has double standards. It's hypocrisy at its finest. It says, well, my standard is different than your standard because what I am doing is better than what you are doing. freaking quiet in here. <laughs> we cannot pick and choose which laws we like and which we don't feel like keeping. That is not how it works. Christians do this with, Bible, with the Bible all the time. Man, we, we pick which verses are convenient for our lifestyle and we spit out the rest. Yeah, they, they, I like this portion. I don't like this portion. So therefore, I will read this one and figure out an excuse for why this one is wrong. I, I mean, everybody. I, I have seen this in so many different ways, especially nowadays. It is prevalent because... People want the church to look more like the world. And so what they have done is they have taken scripture and they have explained away everything that doesn't conform to the world. And they have said, well, these scriptures don't make sense. So we don't read that and we don't like that anymore because we'd rather look more like the world than we would like Jesus. And so we have taken Jesus and we have made him us. And we have now bowed down to the idol of self-worship instead of the Lord of the earth. Because I have crafted a God in my own image. I said, well, no. I like this version of Jesus better, who is a lot more tamer and has my worldview and thinks about everything my way. And I don't really like the Jesus of these verses. So these Jesus, I don't worship that Jesus. Right, we may look at a convicted felon who is locked up for murder and think, I'm better than them. 
But we go to the bar every Friday night and get plastered. Guess what? You're not better than the convicted felon. You are both lawbreakers. Right? Maybe in the eyes of the world you're better. Because the world has said, well, this is better to do than that. But what does scripture say that both are wrong? Don't do either. James says in verse 12, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. What I love here is James does not coddle the church. I love it. Because I think at this point is where people begin to uh, begin to preach and talk about how great the grace of God is. And it is great. But this is the point where most people would say, all right, gospel presentation insert here. And don't worry about everything that you have done. It will be okay. All right. This is this is that like if I'm taking clues from culture, this is the time to do that right now. Uh, But thankfully, we're going through James verse by verse. So I can't do that. And the truth is, if you are an unbeliever, if you are here and you are an unbeliever, that is true. That if, if, if this is the life that you have found yourself in, anything that we have named, then God is ready to forgive and forget. But James is not talking to unbelievers. He is talking to professing, professing Christians who know the law of liberty or the gospel. And he's talking to professing Christians who will be judged by it. And so because he is talking to professing Christians who know the law of liberty, know who Christ is and know that they will be judged by it, he is holding them accountable to it and he doesn't want it to let them slip by. Not because James is a jerk, but because James loves them. What do we see? He, He greets them, my beloved brothers and sisters, last week. I love you and I don't want you to go on believing a lie because you are going to be judged by the truth. See, his words to Christians is this. Get your words and your actions to line up. He says, so speak and so act. So speak and And so act. There is only so long that you can hear about God and talk about God. About the same thing over and over and over again before you have to wonder. Why don't my actions line up with my words? You know, sometimes I could take somebody 10 years to get to that point. Sometimes it can take a week. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit come and convict our hearts that we don't have to wait any longer to wonder that about our lives. You know, some passages that have haunted me are in Scripture where it says, this, the people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I would look at my own life and say, I, I see myself doing these things. Will I not inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said that people will prophesy in my name. They will see miracles and then they will come to heaven and he will say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. We have to know the truth. That our actions need to line up with our words. 
That we cannot just be hearers of the word, but we must be doers of the word. It is not enough to hear week after week, but it has to begin to change deeply on the inside of our hearts. Something so deep that the fruit of it comes out in love and patience and self-control and kindness. Literally, our heart, our character begins to be molded and shaped by the one that we profess and the one that we claim. I pray that our church would be convicted deeply by the Holy Spirit. That we would have a weight on us that says, God, I cannot continue in the ways of my sin, but I must be holy like you are holy. Father. Wreck me inside every time I sin against you that it would not be something light that it's like, oh, there's grace for that. But I realize the price that was paid for me to come back in repentance every time I do this, that it would not be something that I think lightly about. But father, that I would change my life, that I would change the things that I do, that I change the the, the people that I'm with, that I change the shows that I watch, whatever is causing me to live this way that is bringing me to this point that I cannot do it anymore in good conscience. Holy Spirit, I ask that you bring conviction that we would be a church that repents before you. That we would weep for the ways that we come against the Lord. That we would not be nonchalant about it. That we would not be, oh, don't worry about that. That, that, That's fine if you do that. But that we would weep together and say, God, we are sorry for the ways that we have grieved you. In Hebrews 10, 26, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, and that's the key word there, deliberately, After receiving the knowledge, so he's speaking about the crowd that James is speaking to. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgments and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy On the evidence of two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If that doesn't make you want to cry, I don't know what will. To say, God, how have I profaned your blood? Have I trampled underfoot the Son of God with my actions to go on deliberately sinning after I have knowledge of the word of truth? And thought, this is no big deal. I can continue like this. You know, the truth of the matter is, is I'm tired of messages that coddle me in my sin. And messages that do not reveal the truth of God's judgment towards me. How can we experience 
renewal in our neighborhood and renewal in our city if we as a church ourselves are not renewed? How is it possible that we can be the city on a hill, the light unto the nations, if we ourselves have not been changed by the glory of his power? How is it possible that we can call other people to repentance when every day the Holy Spirit calls us to repentance and we shrug him off of our shoulders and say, no, I don't need to repent from that today. I'm just going to go on doing what I've been doing. How is it possible that we can be a church that is called to see Bay Ridge transformed by the power of God if we ourselves have not been transformed by his power? This is a question that rests heavy on my heart. That I pray, God, let the weight of your glory come. That we would realize, as you said to the Pharisees, who is good? And he said to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? That I would realize there is no one good but you. And that I would wake up in the morning and I would go to sleep at night begging God, make me holy like you are holy. Whatever it takes, however much I have to reveal of my heart and of my life. Because the truth is, judgment under the law of liberty will be harder than judgment under the law of Moses. James pleads to the church, do not be hearers, be doers. Do not let the fallacies of human conscience That some sins are okay and some aren't allow us to live in sin. That somehow you have an understanding with God that you still love him even though you won't obey him. Lord, that we wouldn't lie to ourselves. I pray right now, Father, that every area that we have lied to ourselves, that we still love you but have decided not to obey you. Lord, that that veil would be ripped away, Father, and that we would see clearly by your spirit. Lord, every way that we have tried to patch up our own sins and our own wounds and put surgery and band-aids on ourselves, I pray that we would rip those things away now by the power of your spirit, that we would see, Lord, the woundedness of our soul and go to the only healer that can heal. James pushes us. The writer of Hebrews pushes us. Paul pushes the church. Persevere. Have endurance. The righteous person is the one who falls but gets up seven times. Do not give up. Because that is what it usually is. That is where the lies come in. That is where the veil of of seeing in darkness has happened is we have given up the fight, church. But declare to yourself, as long as I have breath, I will fight for the holiness of God in my life. Hebrews 10, 39, just a little bit after that, he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Father, that we would not be people who shrink back when this happens, but that we would persevere, as James says, that we would have endurance and perfect our faith. 
See, the main thing that I have seen in my own life that has caused me to shrink back in these times, when the conviction of God comes on me, when I realize, God, you're, I, am, I am not even close to even desiring to be holy like you are holy, and, and, I, and I walk away, I say, you know, forget it, this is too hard. The, the thing that I have seen that is at the root of that in my life and at the root of so many Christians who walk away is pride. Pride says, I already have it all together. I'm good. God says, there's only one who is good. Pride says, I know what's right. I've I've done research, Justin. I've Googled this. I spent countless minutes looking at articles online. And I know what the interpretation of this verse says so that I can continue doing this. Ha ha, I got you. Pride says others can't know because they need to think better of me. Later in James, it says this God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Not only does it cause us to shrink back and run away, but it causes opposition from God Himself in our life. But what does he say? But God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Who will be humble enough to say, God, I've been getting it wrong. I've been living in a wrong way. I've been been reading this wrong. I've been doing this wrong. I've been praying wrong. I've been thinking wrong. I've been hanging out with the wrong people. I've been doing the wrong things. Who will stand before God and humble themselves and bow down and say, God, I've been worshiping an idol of self and I haven't been worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. James ends this section. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is when you deserve to get something, but you don't. Mercy is I deserve punishment. I deserve judgment. I deserve this, the, the, these, these fires that Hebrews talks about. I deserve all of that and more, but mercy is you will not get that. Mercy is I see the perfect sacrifice of my son. And I don't see you. So if we can plead with God today, have mercy on my soul. David, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, wrote Psalm 51. And this is one of my favorite lines and my favorite Psalms in the entire Bible. But one thing that has always struck me after David did this sin is he writes the psalm and he prays this prayer, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Some of us need to plead with God because our hearts have gotten so hard that his Holy Spirit has been long gone and we have not seen or realized that it is gone. And so we need to get on our knees and plead with God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I have trampled on the Son of Man. I have profaned the blood. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Have mercy on my soul. We must pray for mercy. 
Father, that I don't get what I deserve, that I can see my state for what I really am. But I can come to you right now and plead my case and plead mercy, God, mercy, because we know that God is a God of mercy. And that mercy triumphs over judgment and God would every day rather have mercy on us than judge us. But will we be in a posture where he must oppose us or will we be in a posture where he gives grace to us? Don't let your pride be the reason you walk away. The reason you stop fighting. Because the truth of the matter is, is all of the thoughts, all of the feelings that we have right now that are saying, man, I just I want to give up or I don't want to do this anymore. The root of that is pride. If you would just confess your sins, you would be healed. But you don't because you're proud. If you would just see what scripture is saying here, you would realize there needs to be a change in life, but you won't see it because you're proud. So, Father, I pray that we would not be a proud people, but that we would be a humble people before you, that we would be humble before your throne, knowing, Lord, that whatever crown that I have placed on my own head, that I throw it before the throne room of heaven and I get on my knees and I worship and I say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen. Holy, holy, holy. Stand and pray. Father, show us the ways that we have lied to ourselves. We have convinced ourselves that the ways I live with my sin is okay. Lord, I pray that the way we speak, that it would be the way that we act, that the things that we hear, that they would be the things that we do. God, give us strength to not run from these moments. That we would run into them, Father, into your merciful arms. I just feel called that up here, I just want it to be a place for repentance and prayer, a time of ministry. Don't let pride be the thing that stops you. I can tell you, I, I, a long time ago, I realized, man, I envied the people that would go up and receive prayer because I was too proud of myself to ask for it. Don't let that be the reason, but I believe God is calling some people to repent before him today and I want to make this place up here while we worship just a place of repentance before God and our leaders will pray with you I will pray with you that God that we would not shrink back but that we would persevere that we would have endurance that you would perfect our faith at any moment during worship this space will be open for people who want prayer and for people that want to repent with a brother or sister to pray with them. Let's worship.